so this is, uh, the topic here is, is, is restoring, renewing politics. Um, I think whenever you think about cultural change, uh, cultural renewal, engaging the world, um, we got to have the political discussion because honestly, I think probably uh, when people think of this topic, they think exclusively in political categories. And so I think it's important for us to uh, talk about what would it look like to um, redeem, renew the political sphere of culture as Christians. And should we even be trying to do that, these things? Uh, let me come at it this way. I, I'm planning on not taking, I've got, I've got 45 minutes with you. I'm not taking all that. I'm going I'm to share um, some, some thoughts and then, um, and then we'll open it up uh, if there's any questions. Did y'all do that in the last one? Did y'all have questions or did you just talk the whole time? Okay. <laughs> well, I will ask, I did hear it was incredible, by the way. I, I did hear that everybody's telling me um, I'm the second best preacher at TCPC. Um, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I want to look at an assessment. Or <laughs> what did you say, Mark? What, what snarky comment did you have to offer to this discussion? You mean on the third? She's, she's one, you're two, I'm three. Assessment of the evangelical approach to politics, alternative to the evangelical approach to politics. Let me start with the assessment. Uh, many of you have heard me speak, speak on this in different ways or write on this in different ways, but um, I'll rehash some of my thoughts uh, that I, I think are, um, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about because I think this has become quite the um, unhealthy, um, or I would say unbalanced uh, priority and obsession of, of American Christians. But what happened over the past century, um, there was a silent, nearly undetected shift in... Um, in American Christianity within the, the missiology or the strategy, you could say, of American Christianity, uh, spe specifically related to how, uh, how Christians uh, sought to bring about social change, cultural change. So how do Christians change the world? We want the world to be different. We're not satisfied with the, the way things are. How do you do that? Um, what happened is what James Hunter calls, is a guy I referenced in my first talk, America's politicization. Um, and, and what that means is that the, the belief that the final arbiter of social life is the coercive power of the state. Let me say that again. Um, a philosophy um, within the church that believes the final arbiter, you might even say the exclusive arbiter, of social life is the coercive power of the state. What I'm saying there is that our visions of power and change have been exclusively relegated to the political arena. Um, put another way, American Christians find it difficult to envision any way of addressing public problems and issues outside of the political arena. Put another way, Cultural change is dependent upon the church's ability to influence the political systems of America, be it local, state, or federal levels, because they view these systems as the final arbiter of social life. So we don't even have categories of cultural change except 
through the state. Um, there are Christians here um, in this room who are passionate conservatives, um, hardcore conservatives, and uh, there are Christians, perhaps, perhaps Christian, perhaps one Christian <laughs> who's a hardcore uh, liberal. Uh, <laughs> Marxist. Uh, bringing you up on charges. Uh, now, there's others. There are others uh, in our fellowship who, uh, with, with liberal uh, tendencies and views, though historically, certainly our church and our denomination um, would be a con- socially conservative, fiscally, even fiscally conservative. But um, we've seen growth in that. It's one of my favorite things about our church is that we're seeing that. Uh, but what I want you to see, uh, wh- whether you consider yourself a passionate conservative or passionate, passionate liberal, what, what I want you to see is that, um, ironically, you are strange bedfellows um, in this game of politicization. Um, you are both operating within the same faulty assumption, asking politics to give you the world that you long to see. Whether you think that liberal politics will give you the world that you want, or whether you think conservative politics will give you the world that you want, you're both playing the same game. And it is that the state will give you the world that you long to see. But the point is, is that I believe a free democratic society is a glorious thing, the best system governments, governance that man has ever produced, but it's tricked American Christianity. Um, if we, like the vast majority of Christians throughout the history of church, lived underneath the oppression of worldly powers, we would not have a choice but to do social change, cultural renewal, the way we're asking us to do it at this conference. In other words, if we were if we were Christians gathering in a house church in China and saying, we don't like the way China is, we need to change China, we would not have the choice to say, well, that's easy. Let's, let's get the right politicians in place and that'll, that'll fix China. We would, have to, we would have to have the conversation that we're having here this week. We'd have to say, okay, what would it look like for Christians to engage a secular state and and, and bring about social change that we long to see for the glory of Jesus. Um, what d- democracy does, and I love democracy, and I'm, I, I don't want any other system. I hope it's the system of every uh, society in, in, our, in our world. But what it has done, as, as glorious and beautiful as it is, is it has tricked us um, because we do have the ability to shape public policy. But because of that, we have wrongly, therefore, placed all of our eggs in that one basket. Um, where politics should be a concern of every Christian, but in the evangelical world in particular, it's become a disproportionate um, concern at best and maybe an exclusive concern at worst. And what this does is it creates, um, well, it creates two two main problems that I'm seeing a lot. The first is that it doesn't work. Um, The state will never... um, there are a few exceptions. Um, there are a few exceptions, but um, politicians will never deliver on what they are promising us. Um, you know, I don't think it's true. I, you know, I, I hate the caricatures of the evangelical church as this dumb, you know, 
think, uh, have no thoughts to themselves, voting block that we're just being played by a certain political party and that we're, we're so ignorant and we can't think for ourselves and, and we're just being owned by and being used. I, I obviously don't like that caricature. I, I, I know every evangelical I know is very thoughtful in their political views and all these different things. However, there is some truth to the idea that for a long time, um, there has been um, the, the evangelical, since the, since the, the, the um, movement of um, the uh, moral majority um, movement, there has been a sense in which the evangelical Christians in our land are viewed as a really, really enticing uh, voting block. And if we can say, we will give you this if you'll vote for us, um, we can own that. Um, and there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of historical studies on that development and how essentially uh, what happened is, is that Christians started to be owned by uh, certain, certain uh, parties and, um, and I think there's some truth to it. And so what happens though is that they never deliver on the promises that they're making. Um, I, you know, I, th I think Donald Trump is a perfect example of that. Obviously, he did win the evangelical vote, um, and uh, there, there are many in our congregation that voted for Donald Trump. There are many um, who didn't. Um, it's a divisive subject. It's a divisive thing, and I don't want to let it turn into that. Um, however, the uniqueness of Christians embracing, um, of Christians embracing a uh, a figure like Donald Trump um, in hopes of making America great again, um, in, in hopes of him delivering to us um, our visions of the kingdom of God, morality and ethics and these different things, you know, um, I, 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 like his, I like his pick for uh, Supreme Court. I'm excited about that. And I'm sure that, I don't know, we'll see what happens. But man, I... I am, not, I am not asking Donald Trump to give me the bluegrass that I'm longing to see. Um, and I have no visions that that will ever come to pass. Um, and, and for the church to look at a man with the, um, with the, uh, the morality and, and the whatever that he possesses and, and, and find any type of hope there is a, is a vain trick, trickery. And, um, and I think it will fail us. I don't think it ever works. It never has worked as long as we ask, as long as we ask somebody like a Trump or whomever, you know, President Obama, if that's your, if that's your bent, whatever. As long as you're asking somebody like that to give you uh, the world or, or in our case, the bluegrass that we long to see, um, it's going to continue to fail us. So um, the first problem is I just think it doesn't work. Um, it hasn't worked. It never will work. Um, the second problem is this, that it, what it does is it, it essentially takes Christians and it forces them into the categories, um, the, the unhealthy categories of our world, the, un, the unhelpful binary of conservative or liberal, conservative progressive. Um, in, in our world, um, you're in one of those categories. Um, I, I know you libertarians like to think that you're like the exception that's above, above the whole political game, but... Uh, we could talk, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. Um, but, but what happens is, is you, that you get, you get forced into these unhelpful categories of the world that really are not biblical categories. Well, let me put it this way. Um, what is wrong 
with a progressive ideology. Does anybody want to just shout something out? Well, what's wrong with progressive ideology? Scott, you got anything wrong with progressive ideology? Accommodation, accommodation model I talked about, yep. And that's, and that's where we normally put our change. Good, thank you for being critical of your own, of your own worldview. That's all. <laughs> Don't, you're not on a record? All right, uh, what else? What's, what's wrong with the progressive worldview? Yeah. Keep change, keep change. The, the, our ethic is constantly constantly being updated according to uh, worldly patterns and so forth. Yeah, I saw some, yeah. It doesn't have an overriding truth. So truth is subjective. It's like what she's saying. It's changing. It's progressing. That there's no, there's no um, ontology to it. It's just, it's just we're just going to continually reinvent uh, ethics, morality, what's right for social life, and, and so forth. Okay? What's wrong with conservative? Worldview. Doesn't, doesn't change. Yeah. Selfish individualism. selfish individualism. Okay. Good. So, um, yeah. So, so here's the problem. Um, here's the problem. The progressive wor- the the progressive worldview does not account for the idolatry of the age. It does not count for the, for the evil of our time. It capitulates to it. The conservative worldview does not account for the evils of that age, whatever you're trying to conserve. <laughs> whatever you look to and say, that's it. That was it, whether it be the founding fathers or, um, or uh, the first great awakening in our country or the Puritans, or whatever you have in your mind as that thing that you're trying to conserve, it doesn't make room for the idolatries of, of then. Um, I mean, what, what if you are trying to make America great again, what, 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 what's great, like slavery? Or, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes, is a slave owner and beat his slaves. And he, man, I love his theology. Um, there, there is no golden era, according to our eschatology and theology. There is no golden era that's free that we're trying to either conserve or capitulate to now. Like, like the, 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 the ignorance of, of, the, of the progressive worldview is to actually assume that here now, the, the, the cultural arrogance to assume that here now, we have figured it out, whether it comes to sexual ethics or whatever, like take sexual ethics. So we now, in the West, and by it's, West, it's or not, not just West, white West, Anglo West, we have fi- finally figured out sexual ethics. <laughs> All the thousands of years, they didn't know. All the other cultures who are not white and West, they didn't know. We figured it out. Here's the sexual ethic. The arrogance of that. The, the just ridiculousness of that thought. Same thing if you want to be conservative. The arrogance that that moment in time of American, of American culture was it that we got to conserve. It would be great if we had a worldview that was able to have a vision of um, not capitulating to some time or capitulating to our time, but transcended the times, 
with a higher ethic and sought to, no matter where we are, redeem and renew where we are according to that ethic. That's called reformed. That, that, that's reformed theology. Uh, I'm not a conservative. I'm, I'm not a liberal. I'm, I'm a reformed Christian. And, um, and, I, and I, I take, a, I take, a, I take which, is a, which is a politic unto itself, which says that this, what we're doing here, um, has always proven to be the most effective way to change and renew culture, to bring about good. You take any, if you take any ethical advance throughout history, it came about through the, the gospel truths that we're talking about here. It's always been the most effective, and it, and it, and it removes me from the nauseating binary of, of our world and all that craziness. It gets me out of the fright. Y'all, y'all fight it out. I don't care. Have fun on Facebook. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm going to live above this because I belong to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. I understand the kingdom of the world has this really, this really simplistic reductionistic binary of you're either really, you know, you, you're either conservative or liberal or whatever, or if you're really refined, again, you're like the libertarian who thinks he's outside of all that and all that. I get, I get that. But, but more of, I, I'm just, I'm going to live above it. I'm in, I'm in a different world. It's called the kingdom of God. So it's a different ethic. What does that look like though? Is that just, a, you know, What's the alternative? In other words, if you're saying, okay, fine. Christians should not, like, Christians should not fit into the Fox News MSNBC caricatures. Okay. I got it. We'll repent of that. Forgive me. Forgive me for loving to, you know, getting my discipleship and talking points from different sides. I repent. But what does it look like to do this? Um, Alternative to evangelical approach to politics. Jesus uh, says, says, says this, um, obviously the famous passage, the only time he really gets political, although his whole life is a politic. That's the point. Matthew 5 through 7 is the most revolutionary political statement where he says, I am going to literally form a new world where the poor in spirit are blessed, where the meek and lowly are exalted. I'm going to create a new world, and I want you to take and embody that world. And, and the Sermon on the Mount took place on uh, the, 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 the hill where he was preaching, the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. That was, where, that was where revolutionaries got away to gather their little followings and, and preach, their, their, uh, preach their philosophies and their revolution and their new kingdom and, and all this stuff. And Jesus, in a most political, politically charged move, Gets all of his gets all of his disciples and followers together on this revolutionary hill and says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake." Cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. Don't look at the speck. Take the log out of your own eye. This is just this upside down revolution. But anyway, um, the time he explicitly deals with the politics of the day is, of course, when they asked him about the taxation which the Jews hated, and they put him into a bind and say, should we be paying taxes to Rome? Should we be paying, is it lawful for, for to pay taxes? And the reason why they're asking this question is because Rome, in just a arrogant, we rule over you move, um, printed a denarii with, which, which uh, on it said, I think it said like Julius Caesar, son of God, uh, and something else. Uh, son of God and something else, but but it was a very political statement that we are your, we are, Caesar is your God that you're looking for, your Messiah. And they had to pay that one tax just, to, just so Rome could say to, to the Jews, we're in charge, we're your God. 
Um, could you imagine, you know, if, you, if they start printing money, uh, Donald Trump, son of God, and you've got to pay that tax um, just to stick it to you. So that's what it is. So they said, should we be paying this tax? And, and, uh, and, uh, and Jesus flippantly says, take it. Just give him the coin. It's a stupid coin. Render to Caesar what's Caesar. It's his. It's his face on it. Give it. But he doesn't stop there in his answer to the question. Render to Caesar what's Caesar. Render to God what belongs to God. Now, you will discover the politics of Jesus when you answer the question, well, what belongs to God? Render to Caesar what's Caesar. Pay your taxes. Who cares? Give him a silly little coin. But render to God what's God. If you want to know the politic of Jesus, that will, that will come out when, when you say, okay, well, what's God? And the answer to that is two, two things, twofold, right? One, what's God's? Everything. Good. So, do you know how revolutionary that is? Render to God what's God. Uh, that's everything. God is the creator of all things, the rightful ruler of all things. There's not a square inch in the whole dominion of human existence over which the Christ who has risen from the dead does not declare mine, Abraham Kuyper, which is the theology of this, of this conference. There's not a square inch that God doesn't say, that's mine. So, now it doesn't look like Jesus owns everything, right? But that's precisely the point. All things actually do belong to God, but all things have rebelled against their rightful owner, and therefore, when Jesus says, give to God what is God's, it is a very radical and revolutionary statement. He is calling on Rome and every kingdom of this world to bow down to its rightful king. Give to Caesar's little coin, give Rome to God, and give America to God. But how? All right, how? Okay, so in one sense, when he says, render unto God what is God, he's saying, give it all to me. Caesar, you can have your coin. America, you can have your taxes. I want everything. How? How do we render to God what belongs to God? That's, that's, that comes with a second answer to the question of what belongs to God. Jesus takes the coin. He says, whose image is on this? And they say Caesar. And he says, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar because it has the image on the coin, his image on the coin. Well, what, what, what has the image of Christ on it? What is stamped with the image of Christ? Give that to him. Um, and, of course, what, what, what bears the image of God is, is you and me. So Jesus is saying that Denarius has Caesar's image on it, so he owns it, so give it back to him. And then by implication, he's saying, you have God's image on you, therefore God owns you, therefore give yourself to God. And that is, in a nutshell, is Christ's politic. Grand political strategy, his people, citizens of his world, his culture, his kingdom, rendering their lives unto the purposes of his kingdom. Political systems and processes are not the primary mechanism by which Jesus intends to change the world. His entire ministry took place under the oppression of the Roman Empire, and he doesn't talk about it one time. He almost seems indifferent to Rome's oppression. It's almost like he's not even on his mind. He's not even talking about it. He's not a category. He's, he's not upset by it. He's not mad at it. He's not raging against it. He's not ignoring it. He's just he's abiding by the rules. He's living in humble submission, which we're going to see in 1 Peter. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. He's living in humble submission, doing all those things to Roman government. But it's not because he's scared of Rome, but it's because he is indifferent to Rome. He transcends Rome. He's above Rome. He isn't going to play the world's silly little political games. He has come for a greater purpose. Twelve normal men 
whom he calls to follow him, whom he disciples and trains according to the ways of his kingdom, whom he calls the light of the world and the salt of the earth, whom he sends forth to all the nations. That is how Jesus intends to change the world. Now, there's a strategy to it, and that's what we're talking about here. Dr. Rahm is big, as you can see, he's big on the strategic and significance of cities as culture centers. So if we are going to be Christ's followers, living out the vision of his kingdom and therefore redeeming the world, let's get strategic about it. Let's do it in the cities. Let's fill the halls of power and it will overcome the world. Jesus is calling us to imagine another way. We render unto God our lives. We live as citizens of the kingdom of God, as witnesses and signposts to his kingdom as the embodiment of his ways, and in so doing, we form a rival kingdom, a better kingdom, um, dare I say, an unstoppable kingdom. Because how do you stop the politics of Jesus? If Jesus' grand political strategy is you living your life according to his kingdom, how do you stop that? How does the world put an end to the kingdom of God? And the answer, of course, is it cannot. If our grand political strategy is, is, is reduced down to the political schemes of the world, it's very easy to put a stop to that. Either don't elect it or overthrow the whole system, whatever. I don't know. There's, there's plenty of ways to stop the world's strategy. How do you stop the kingdom of God? How do you stop image bearers giving their life away to the purposes of the kingdom, even unto death? The answer is you can't overthrow his kingdom. Um, you can't unelect his kingdom. You can't stop his kingdom. His kingdom rules over all. Now, because of the talk on uh, politics, um, let me end by this. And I'm, I, I intend to leave time for questions that I probably don't. What time is it? I don't have a look. What? 3.30. Okay. I got 15 minutes. So let me end here. Um, because this is a talk on politics and redeeming or renewing politics, are, the question would then become, so are you saying um, that we should just ignore politics? We shouldn't be involved. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't elect Christian politicians. We shouldn't write our congressmen or, or, uh, or um, even protest and all these things. Okay, first, absolutely not. I just want to, I just, all I really want to do is, is put politics in its proper proportion. Of course, I would love for politicians to be raised out of Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church to go into the political arena and subdue it or resubdue it for Jesus. I would love for some of you to grow up and be politicians and, and do it for the glory of God. Just as I would love for some of you to grow up and be educators for the glory of God. Just as I would love for, for you to grow up and be mechanics for the glory of God. Just as I would, you, you get the point. I'm just putting it as proper proportion. So yes, political involvement is very important. And yes, we live in a blessed, free, democratic society. And Christians have got to vote and exercise their political rights. All this stuff, yes, 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 yes to all of it. Just don't put all of your eggs in that one basket because ultimately I am very concerned. I think I get accused often of two kingdom mindedness, which is basically you just got the church doing its thing and just let the state go, let the culture go and all this stuff. Obviously I'm hosting a culture that is, flies in the face of all two kingdom theology. But I'd say it like this. So do you not care? Do you want, in other words, do you want the, the government of the United States of America to be a Christian government, to have Christians and all this stuff, yes, to, to, to legislate according to a Christian worldview, yes, 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 yes. I just believe this. 
I'll just close with this. I, I, I just firmly believe this, and I think history is on my side with this. I just, I happen to think that politics is not as sovereign as we think it is, and that it is, um, it is the fruit of culture, not the instigator of culture. The lie that we have believed is that politics is the instigator of culture. So we try to, we try to, um, we try to do the political thing so that the politics will then change the culture. But what history has always proven is that, that, the, that the, uh, the culture overflows into its politics. So, um, so would I like to see a, a Christian worldview in the halls of political power? Of course. I just believe the best and most effective way to do that is what we're doing, which would renew a culture which, honestly, the last fruit of that is you'll start seeing it in the halls of authority in the political system. Um, I just don't think it goes the other way around. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I just think we've reversed the process. We're trying to get the right politicians to give us the culture we want instead of doing the hard work of laboring to give our lives away to, re, to, to, to renewing the culture and, and that giving way then to political systems that we all enjoy. So, all right, uh, that's my... Longer than I expected. Uh, questions and, uh, and uh, charitable, uh, non-binary uh, non, uh, questions, yeah. I don't have a question, I have a comment. Yeah. Um, your last two points were made really well um, in a sermon, more like a talk, uh -huh. given by David Brooks last yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't seen that, I'd really recommend it. Yeah, David Brooks, I, I, yeah. He, he, just so everybody could hear that, David Brooks, did you, did, did you, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, where did he give that? National Cathedral. At Na National Cathedral. You can go read that or listen to that. Yeah. What advice would you give to people, to the church, uh, about having political conversations, uh, especially within the church, that can be divisive? Uh, I, you know, I'm just big on. Uh, are you asking? Are you asking? What would I say to you if you're having political discussions in, in a church and being divisive? Because then I'd just say stop. Because if that was the case, I'd just say stop. <laughs> no, I mean, are you saying you feel like the the the, the political um, the the polarization is slipping into the church, and that concerns you? Or does it? Or, yeah. With 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 love, grace, charity, and love your neighbor and humility and all those things. I'd do it the way Jesus did it. I mean, I I I just I think I think uh, I know I may, maybe let me let me project upon what you're doing here, or not what you're doing, but what you're asking. Um, um, I tell my millennials that that I love and 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 all this. Um, who are so eager to distance themselves from um, what they view as an unhealthy, angry, um, um, political obsessed uh, parents and grandparents to just be really, really charitable and actually to learn from them um, because they have, um, they have, uh, like, like uh, I, I can't stand, I, I can't stand the, I can't stand these, these young, these young people thinking that like uh, that that uh, that is like like 
the, the Donald Trump thing has become so divisive in the church because the young people look at the older people and say, how in the world? And I just want to be like, you have no idea. I could tell you millions of reasons why. These are good people, thoughtful people who have really, who have really processed this. And I can tell you exactly why they, they went that direction. And the Supreme Court nominee is, is probably top of the list. That just happened. So engage them and say, I'm not just going to put you off as like a, just an angry white bigot because you voted for Donald Trump. Let's talk. Why did you do that? I'd love to hear your Likewise, I, I have had to tell, um, I have had to tell um, uh, people in our congregation who um, don't have a category for these new millennials that don't fit into the, the neat uh, conservative, like, like who grew up thinking if you are not in this binary over here, the conservative thing, then like, I don't even know if you, I don't even know how somebody could be a Christian and not be over here because of pro-life or whatever. Like, I, I don't even know. And I say to them, well, you should ask them. Y'all could talk about it and ask it and do it in love and charity and all that stuff. Just do not let the, the culture of our age, the spirit of our age, determine how those conversations happen. Let, let the supremacy of love of neighbor um, um, guide those conversations and, and how y'all do that. Um, but I think dialogue's good, just charitable and love and humility and whatever. Yeah. Talk. It's interesting because Brooks, of course, is Jewish. And a lot of his engagement discussions with Hunter right. that are online are fascinating. And so the idea that people of faith to engage must be Christian, must stamp Christianity on that, mm -mm. I think is a tends to be too narrow. Yeah, no doubt. Right. You know, I, I've been general counsel in several Democrat campaigns, and, and I know how they hold it. And it's based on fear. Right. How can we get people to vote a certain way? It's scary. Yeah. And, and that's the way both parties do it. It's fear based, and it's very hypocritical. And it's both parties. On both sides. And that's what I'm saying. It's both sides. It's both and so. Yeah. He's talking about to change the world. Did you read it? You and you read it. Yeah. Right. So this would be a good test. I, 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 let, let's 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 just throw that out there, and Will's going to come in here in a second and do this to me. But let's just throw this out there, and you tell me. You know, don't don't tell me. Answer in your hearts. Um. All right. Do you have more commonality? Um, can I use you as a guinea pig? Do you care? I've been picking on you the whole talk. All right. Okay. 
I disagree. I disagree with you on just about everything you believe. That's true. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's why we have four plastic people <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so Scott is wrong politically, okay? He's wrong. <laughs> everything he believes is, is wrong. However, Scott, is, is, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Absolutely. Is he risen from the dead? You're, you're, uh, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Is your hope in him alone? Only hope. Okay. Do you have more commonality with him than Glenn Beck? Glenn Beck? Did you say Glenn Beck? You're the pastor. Oh, he asked what I said. <laughs> Mark said, Glenn Beck! Okay, listen, listen. If you can't say that I am covenantally bound to this crazy man over here, and that, huh? Now, now. Now, now. All right, all right. I know you think we're all crazy. I get it. But the point is, if you can't, if, if you cannot find more commonality there than in your political tribe, I'm telling you right now, your politics are off. They're just off. If your tribe, if your worldly binary tribe, is, is, your kin, is your kinship more than this covenantal community, you are not thinking right about politics. And there's some repentance that needs to take place in your life and in your heart. And I get it, people. I'm, I'm not, like, I'm not above this. I'm not above this. I'm just like you. I, I, I fear about culture. I fear about the future for my children, my grandchildren. I, I, I love, I, uh, those, those political debates are so delicious. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so fun to just watch these people yell at each other. And, and, and uh, it, it, there is something incredibly enticing about the polarization of our country. You, you, you got to repent and say that that's not the ways of the kingdom of God. Um, the kingdom of God takes Jew and Gentile, uh, slave and free, male and female, crazy liberal and me, and, and says, says it, it brings us to the table. And, uh, and, and it's counter, no other religion works this way. Um, if you ever look at every other religion, they are a, they are a type of people. They are a culture, culture of people. They are um, a race. They are an ethnicity. They're all that. And then there's this crazy Christianity that took over the world where Jew and Greek were together and, and say, I love you. I love you more than my, my, my pagan friends who don't love Jesus. And I love you more than my Jewish friends that don't love Jesus. I, we're together in this, and it, and it does that stuff. So we, that, that, needs to, that needs to, the world has to see that from us, and they won't see that if we get, if we get caught, sucked into the, to the, to the political craziness of our day. All right, I, what time is it? Yeah, you, what did you want to say? It's 3.40. Oh, oh, yeah, five more minutes, okay. You had this one great quote. You kind of alluded to it. It might have been Leslie Newbigin, but it's, I'm neither. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that in my sermon on Sunday. L Leslie Newbigin, who's my culture hero, was once asked, um, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? And he said, oh, neither. Jesus is risen from the dead. And what he meant by that, and I'll talk about this tomorrow, what he meant by that is you're, you're, you're missing it by that question. As if, as if, as if culture, is, culture in our world is this, is this um, he wrote an essay called The Kingdom of God and the Idea of Progress. As, as if the systems of this world are this organic 
process that's, that's simplistically moving in a better or worse direction where he says, according to 1 Corinthians 15, no, you don't understand. Jesus is risen from the dead, the first birth of a new humanity, the first day of a new world, and he's going to return and raise the dead, and the whole world's going to be resurrected. My, my, my eschatology, my eschatology is resurrection, and that's my hope. Um, not whether we can maneuver this thing in a better direction or whether it's going downhill. Jesus risen from the dead. And that, that resurrection has invaded this world. It's invading it in little new creations as we speak. If anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. That's not meaning like you're just a different person. You are, you are a, a hint of the new creation that is to come. That he's filling the world with little new creations. And then, um, and then he will return and raise the dead and raise all the creation. And, and uh, resurrection is my future. Yeah. Is that what you're asking about? Yeah. Like, I'm neither liberal nor conservative. No, I'm not. I'm not yeah. I'm, I'm reformed. Yeah, yeah. I follow somebody who transcends that that unhelpful binary. So, other questions, thoughts? Yeah. So you're saying, how do you uh, kind of deconstruct the, the 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 way that our world works, and how do we renew our minds and take on a different way of thinking, different ethic, and all that stuff? Yeah, we're in it, but right, right. So she's saying, okay, how do you be in this world and not subscribe to its? patterns and ways, and, um, and how do you, and, and, and the other way is, is how do you learn the ways of this new world and, um, and subscribe to it and its ways and all stuff, and that, that's, just, that's just Christian discipleship. I mean, that's the, easy, the easiest answer and the most convenient answer for me as a pastor is um, God has given us a refuge of, of this new world that has dawned in the resurrection, and it's going to take place tomorrow. Um, at nine o'clock and eleven fifteen and five o'clock downtown, um, that that church, the authority of the church is, and worship specifically, is is the embodiment of this new world order. 
that we come as aliens and strangers and we, disciple, we immerse ourselves in it and we disciple ourselves in it and we rehearse its liturgies and we, and we, um, we use our language that the world doesn't understand and we do our acts that the world doesn't understand. We're going to give our money away tomorrow. Um, where, where the world out there, um, where the world out there does nothing but greed and, and consumption. We're going to come tomorrow and we're going to give our money away. Um, we're going to come tomorrow and we're going to confess our sins. Where out there, um, all they do is hide and protect and pretend and say it's not that bad and just accept yourself for who you are. We're going to come here and we're going to tell the truth about ourselves. And we're going to say, this is how bad it is. Um, tomorrow, we're going to hear the news of a of a savior who's upside down from the world, and we're going to remember that, and and um, we're going to sing songs that don't make sense, and um, we're going to train ourselves in the ways of this world tomorrow. Um, we're going to do that. We're going to take. It's not just going to be corporate worship, but we're going to do that. We're going to live that out in community, where we live in community with each other, and um, and and massage out those truths. Um, we're going to catechize our children. We're going to do all these things, and then we are going to take this new world and go bear witness to the world. So, you, in other words, you can't do it unless you're, you're deeply immersed in, in God's ordained Christian community, which is his church. Um, his help, his refuge of this world is, is the church. So, I hate to say that we're the answer to that, but we're kind of the answer to that. Uh, you know, just, it doesn't have to be us. You can go join another church, but just, just find a place where you're getting trained in the ways of the kingdom. Okay, good question. Yeah. Yeah, I am not. I am not subscribing to an Anabaptist worldview of. Of I know, I know. I'm not subscribing to uh, fortification. Let's retreat. Let's 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 uh, let's do a capital campaign and let's go buy ourselves a plot of land out here and have a little commune and and we'll all just let Rev Randall tell us what to do for the rest of our lives and we can be a little Mark Randall cult. Uh, would you enjoy that? Yeah. Huh? Sounds like a good. Good political system to me. Whatever Mark says, do. And uh, I, I'm not that at all. What I'm saying is to reimagine what a revolution would look like, what a what a cultural change would look like, and let's just get out of the silly categories that the world subscribes to, and say, all right, we've got this little sphere of creation, the bluegrass. We've got a lot of capital in this community that loves Jesus. I'm not talking financial capital. A lot of that is there and needs to be unleashed for the purposes of God in the world. Of course, that's there. But I'm talking about leadership, the next generation, da 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 That, like this room to me, I, 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 I've, uh, I'm going, uh, I've, I've uh, spent time in the, in the Kentucky Senate and the Texas Senate, done the, done the token pastor of the day prayer stuff. And, and I always leave there thinking, like, this room right here on Sunday morning is far more impressive and effective to me than that hall. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe with the next generation, with the leaders of our community, with the financial um, abilities that are in this room, um, with the leadership abilities in this room, I think on every Sunday I'm talking to a far more powerful hall than when I stand before the Kentucky Senate 
um, or, the, or the Texas Senate and, and say a token prayer and say, can you all remember Jesus when you're doing your work, please? It's just, this is not effective. I think this is really effective. All right, we got to end. Will's yelling at me. Mark, cult leader, pray for us. <laughs>